This morning, we want to, to, to bring something special to you. Um, last night, we had a marriage date night uh, in this room, 80-plus couples in here, and we had Dr. Jim Burns come and share uh, just little ways that you can be investing in your marriage. And this morning, we've, had him, we've asked him to preach. And so he is the founder and leader of a ministry called Homeward that is investing in families and marriages. It's an incredible ministry. He speaks all over uh, the nation, all over the world, really. Uh, and we're excited to have him come and preach this morning for us. And so would you welcome Dr. Jim Burns, please. Thank you, Ronnie. I thought last night was good, and then I showed up here to that music, and I went, wow, this is amazing. And then Gary, I understand he's retiring, and uh, I was so excited to get to be here before he retires. I understand he's retiring, going back to the Rhodes family and uh, of singers, and they're going to be a cover band for the Rolling Stones, so that's a great thing too, right? (laughs) I got a call from my doctor, and he said, "Uh, Jim, you need to be in at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Bring your wife. Whenever they say bring your wife, that's not good news. It wasn't. I had cancer. And I found myself uh, not really thinking I was going to die. I mean, you know, I just thought, no, I'm going to make it through this. Uh, My mother-in-law had a different opinion. She said to my wife, you know, you and Jim have had a good life together, and you're young enough that you could get remarried and you could have another good life. So you got to love the advice of the mother-in-law, right? So I've kind of outlived her. She's now gone. (laughs) I found myself at the City of Hope in Southern California. I live in Southern California, a great cancer hospital. And uh, it was the night before I was going to go in for surgery, and I was at uh, Embassy Suites with my wife, had a 5.30 call into the hospital, and uh, again, I, I really never thought I was going to die. I mean, I probably needed counseling. I, I told the doctor, is there any way you could delay this surgery for just a few months because I'm on a speaking season and I'd like to finish the season? And he just looked at me and went, no. Right? And uh, that night, you know, I, had, I wasn't really even that nervous. I had other things going on in my life that seemed to be a concern even at the time. And so it was like one more thing on the list. And I got up in the middle of the night and I thought, what would I do if this was my last day? What would I want to say? What would, be, what would I want to share with my kids? What would I, I want to share with some of the people that are close to me? And so I never thought I would ever share this. I ended up writing a book on it, but um, I wrote down the first words. There were other words, but I wrote down, finish well. You know, when you think about the word finish well, you think about, um, well, you think about old people, right? Um, like me. You know, well, I'm, I'm now thinking about finishing well. Young people don't think about finishing well. They're just trying to get through. I, and I, I totally understand that. But truly, all of us need to probably be thinking about finishing well. This is a, a photo of my wife. This is Kathy. She's actually going to be at the next service. She's missed an amazing service. Uh, that's when we were married. I just wanted to show you that I had hair one time. You don't know me, but I did. Okay. This is my family. And uh, those are the girls, the three daughters. So we've had no hormones or drama in our life, of course. And uh, with Kathy and I, we have kind of a high-maintenance marriage. Good marriage, but it's high-maintenance. we got to work on it. These girls, they just had, they were all drama queens and wonderful, and they were the joys of my life. This is our larger family now, because there's three son-in-laws, three, you know, grandkids. Here are the three grandkids. There they are. I kind of say that grandkids are a love affair with generations, and man, I love these kids. Our family, I would quote Lilo and Stitch from Disney, this is my family. It may be small, it may be broken, but it's still good. Yeah, I mean, it's still good. Um, But these kids, oh my goodness, pretty awesome. James, Charlotte, and Huxley, okay, that's them. 
And I'm thinking a lot about them right now. And like I said, the topic of finishing well, which I've chosen to talk to you about, is actually what old people talk about. But actually, if you're the youngest person in the room, this may be more important for you because when you think about finishing well, one of the things you have to think about is that, uh, well, games are won in the second half, not in the first half, but it's how you build the first half, okay? Here's another graphic that I just thought about. Um, you know, some people, when they're going to die, they want to put on their gravestone, faithful to God, faithful to family. I think that would be cool to put. This lady put, I told you I was sick. <laughs> it's not my mother-in-law's uh, gravestone, but it should have been my mother-in-law's gravestone. What? <laughs> so I want to ask you a question. What are you doing right now, no matter who you are, no matter what your age, no matter where you're at on the spiritual scale, what are you doing right now to finish well? Last night, we talked about marriage. What are you doing if you're married to finish well in your marriage? Okay, that's a very important question. I said most games are won in the second half, not in the first half. In the first half, life is busy. Life is noisy. Life is almost frenetic. It's a new word for me, but frenetic. Frenetic means, it's an adjective, and it means fast and energetic in a rather wild and uncontrolled way. Uh, that's what we do, a lot of us. And I actually think that one of the problems with families in America, with personal life in America, is this breathless pace in which we live our lives. And I live in Southern California, so of course we're weird, but I thought coming to places like Waco, you wouldn't be busy. But the truth of the matter is, is that you're just as busy and sometimes as crazy busy as any place else. When I graduated from Princeton uh, in grad school a number of years ago, a friend of mine, Baptist pastor actually, uh, handed me a card and I wasn't saying for the graduation, he said, you might like this. And it said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Well, you know what? I'm not going to be in the arms of another woman. I'm not going to embezzle money. I'm just going to sometimes be so busy that I miss the most important things. And I think sometimes that's all of us. We do that in the first half, but sometimes it carries into the second half. So a man named John Mark Comer, he's a pastor in Portland, Oregon, and he said, hurry is violence to your soul. Think about that for a minute. Hurry is violence to your soul. You know, busy people, we oftentimes think they're successful people, but busy people are oftentimes broken people. And actually, busy families are often broken families. And I'm not saying we all move to Wyoming and live in a commune. I'm just simply saying that if we're so busy doing all this stuff that sometimes we miss the most important stuff, busy marriages are oftentimes mediocre marriages. So again, it's important for us to think about that in a different way today. In the second half, we, we oftentimes have more time to think about our, our soul. Uh, a soul without a center finds its identity in meaningless externals. And in some ways, that's the story of our nation and that's the story of many families today that we're finding, or at least trying to find, identity in these meaningless externals. I wanna speak for a moment just about the soul, just, just for a moment. Because the condition of your soul, each and every one of us, actually plays a determining factor in our life, in our family, in our marriages, and, and actually how we finish really plays into what the condition of our soul is. And Scripture talks to us about the soul being integrated into our life in all aspects of our life. We don't probably speak enough about the soul. I know I don't, and sometimes I don't even think enough about the soul. But it actually has the capacity to help us lead a healthy life if we're in touch with our soul. Uh, there's an outer world. We all live in that. We lived in it today. There's an inner world, and the soul is integrated into both aspects of it. 
The soul is the center of a healthy uh, relationship. It's goodness in life. It's an intimate marriage if you're married again. An unhealthy soul brings clutter and chaos and brokenness and pain. And so really what we want to do is try to figure out how do we, in this second half of our life, how do we focus on the soul? But the way we do it is, is through the first half of our life if you're a first halfer. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, the most important thing about you is not the things that you achieve. It is the person that you become. Here's a phrase. Significance in a well-lived life are never accidental. And so what I mean by that is that so often we think that we're going to live life by circumstance and chance, and we're just trying to get by, and it's those fast years. I was talking to a, a young couple right, right over there uh, last night, and they're in the midst of it. They've got a, I mean, they're not there. That's not the young couple. I think you're a little older than that couple, but they were standing right there. And, you know, they, were, they had four kids, and life was busy, and life was chaotic, and, and, and all of that. And they said, we're just kind of going through the motions in our marriage and in our family. We're just trying to catch up. We're living by, well, they didn't say it, but by circumstance and chance, but yet a significant as well and a well-lived life are, are never accidental. So here's the question. What are you doing to finish well? And what does finishing well look like for you in these areas? Number one is in your physical health. The Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so are we taking care of our body? Are we taking care of it? Because again, people who don't take care of their body at the end don't do well, right? Secondly is your emotional wholeness. How are we doing emotionally? We talked to the guys yes, last night about emotional intimacy and some of them kind of went, never heard those two words put together before. I'm not sure really how to do that, okay? Intimacy just means connection. Uh, relational connection. Relational connection if you're married with your spouse, with your kids, uh, with, with replenishing relationships and friendships. It's amazing that 51% of people who are over 50 say that they are deeply lonely. 51% say that they have deep loneliness in their life. Uh, spiritual intimacy, of course. Vocational uh, direction and purpose in your life. So again, the question was, what will finishing well look like? The interesting thing is, is you know, usually, I know, I know how to lose weight, I just don't do it, see? I mean, I, if you, I'm an expert at losing weight, and I've done it several times, and then it kind of blooms back because I don't follow my own instructions. This here, this scripture, we have the instructions for life right here, but sometimes we just simply don't follow it. So what is it going to take for all of us to finish well? Well, I want to take a look at Scripture, and it's actually a Scripture that I've spoken on before, but I've never spoken from this kind of direction on it, and I love this Scripture. It'll be familiar with many of you if you're around the church. It's Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is starting off right after Hebrews 11, which talks about the mothers and the fathers of our faith. What's good about the reading about the mothers and the fathers of our faith in Hebrews 11 is that we've got the leaders, everybody we you know, we know and, and went to Sunday school and studied, right? But they are murderers and they are cheats and there's a prostitute in there and there's all kinds of things. They're not perfect just like you and I aren't perfect. But let's take a look at what Hebrews 12 says um, about you know, kind of living life on purpose and finishing well. It's gonna appear on the board, but it says this, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, let me just stop right there and say that's talking about Hebrews 11, the mothers and the fathers of our faith. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and that you will not lose heart. I think a lot of times people, and there's people in this room who are, and it sure happens in my life, that we get weary and we lose heart. And so sometimes we don't finish well because we're, we're taken with the burdens of life. There are circumstances that take place. You know, the, in the afternoon, I'm going to talk about doing life with your adult children. Keep your mouth shut and welcome that out. Now you don't need to come because that's pretty much what I'm going to say for 45 minutes, right? But many, many parents of adult children are like, wow, I, I, you know, my kids violated their, you know, our values. We taught them differently. Uh, they've strayed from faith, things like that. That's what we keep hearing. And so in this burden, we don't finish well because maybe our marriage wasn't Good. We In the empty nest, not everybody here, of course, is in the empty nest, but they're focused on children and their child-focused marriage, and all of a sudden they wake up and they have marriage stuff that's underneath the mat someplace, and they look and they go, I'm not even sure I like you, let alone want to stay with you. There's only one demographic where divorce is growing in America, and it's the 50 and over crowd. Um, and part of that is be- for other reasons, too, in terms of why youngers, because they aren't getting married as much. But the point being is that some of us don't, don't finish well. We don't think about this, but I want to give you four points out of this scripture that to me are life-changing and actually help us kind of be the roadmap for how to finish well. First of all, it says, we learn from other runners, okay? The scripture says, therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So if we're going to finish well, we've got to learn from other runners, and we've got to be in community with people. And yet, Today's generation of millennials and Gen C say that they're not as excited about the church, but they are excited about community. They want community. They understand that. We all need community. See, So when you have your life groups, that's really your community in many ways, and that's so key and so important. Let me ask you a question. Do you have mentors? Do you have mentors? We're to run with other runs, but do you have mentors? I mean, Kathy and I were raised in dysfunctional families. We, Our parents were wonderful people, but not our mentors, Okay. And uh, they didn't do family right. They didn't do relationship with God right, things like that. And so we had to find, find other mentors, okay? You have mentors for family, uh, parenting. Do you have mentors for marriage if you're married? Do you have replenishing relationships? I use that word. What about friendships? Kind of meddling in our lives today. But, you know, there's basically VDPs, very draining people. And there are VIPs. And uh, you have them both. You just hope that you're not the VDP to the person you're sitting next to, by the way. But we tend to have a lot of relationships where there's VDPs, and you're gonna. But do we lean into replenishing relationships? You learn from other runners, but it actually takes time and energy. So 21 years ago, a friend of mine invited me to be a part of a small group, men, five of us. We're still going strong. And I'm telling you now that I was with these guys for this long, now that I've been with them. I'm a better husband and a better father and a better Christ follower because I hang out with these guys, okay? I mean, nobody's perfect. In fact, at the beginning, we talked about sports and politics because that's what us guys do, and it's comfortable there. One day, one of the guys opened his kimono and said, my marriage isn't going all that well, and we all kind of jumped through it, and now we have great vulnerability, great openness, great, transpar- uh, uh, great, great uh, uh, connection, and what I have found is that it's a lifeblood for me. And yeah, we do fly fishing and we go on some trips and we hang out together and we laugh and whatever. But it's in the work that we do on Tuesday mornings that, you know, keeps us together. You know, I met some of my most important mentors after they died in books. And so 
we're kind of getting away from reading the great uh, leaders in the faith. And it's important for us to find mentors who have gone before us. C.S. Lewis is a mentor of mine. I never met C.S. Lewis, but I've read everything the guy's written. And I'm a better person because of, you know, C.S. Lewis. I tell people, read one book a year on family. I'm a, my background is family ministry, so, you know, read a book on family. Read a book on parenting. Read a book on marriage. I don't care if you've been married years and years. Kathy and I have been married 48 years. We still need to read books together on marriage. See? And so when people do that, that helps them. I used to be a, a youth speaker. I'd speak to about a quarter million high school kids a year, many, many times uh, here in Texas. And one of the things I always said to them was, you become like the people you hang out with. But speaking to us as adults, and I realize there's probably a student or two in here, but we become like the people we hang around with. And so are you hanging around with the, the right people? So we, we learn from other runners, and the Bible's clear on that. Secondly is we run light. What that means is, as the Scripture says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So we, we throw off light. I, 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 we run light. I, I actually like what Peter Drucker, he's a management guru, says. First things first, last things not at all. Kind of going back to this idea of us being busy, sometimes we're so busy or our life is so cluttered and what we need to do is run a little bit lighter. Again, I'm not suggesting that we all move someplace and live you know, up in the hills. I'm saying that we've got to figure it out here and now. And so we've got to learn this run light thing. How are, how are you doing with that? You know, I'm not talking about declutter when I talk about, you know, I do need to declutter our garage and I need to declutter my closet and things like that. Kathy actually has me on, on t-shirt restriction. She told me that I have, th- I have three t-shirt drawers and she goes, in a couple of months, that's going to two drawers. And if not, I'm just going to throw these t-shirts. I go, but it has a hole in it, I know, but I, I sweat in that. And it has great meaning when I wore that in 1983, you know. She's going, I'm sorry, it's, they're, they're leaving, see. I was speaking at the Promise Keepers Pastors Conference. I had the privilege to speak for Promise Keepers for a number of years. And I was speaking at the Pastors Conference. It was at Diamondback Stadium in Arizona and all these pastors there. And, you know, pastors are wonderful, but they also are like you and me and they struggle with issues. And, and before I was going to speak, the Maranatha Praise Band, who's amazing, I'm not sure as good as this, but they were amazing, um, was, was playing, and I was talking with a man named Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford died a couple of months ago. Jack Hayford was one of the great leaders in the Christian world, and actually in the world of music, Gary. Uh, amazing songs that he, he wrote. And Pastor Jack, I've spoken at his church many times, and I've done conferences with him, and I've been with this man, and so I know him pretty well. But I had never asked him this question. We're sitting kind of in the back on the side where I'm going to come in uh, after the, the worship set. And I said, Pastor Jack, what is the secret to your leadership success? Pastor of a mega church, president of a, a college in, the United, in California. Um, he was the president at that time of a denomination and also has written a lot of books and he had a television program the whole bit. So, yeah, I mean, kind of successful guy. What's the secret to your leadership success? And a great man, a man of integrity. And he said, you know, Jim, without a moment's hesitation, he said, it's not what I've chosen to do, it's what I've chosen not to do. He said, Pastor Jack, unpack that. I should be thinking about my talk, I should be thinking about standing in front of a stadium, and I'm now just totally just geared into what he's saying. He said, Jim, I had to say no to good things to say yes to the most important things. Pastor Jack, what are the most important things? It's my relationship with God. It's my relationship with my wife. He had lost his wife about four years ago. Um, but an amazing marriage. 
It's my relationship with my kids. He named all of his kids. He named all of his grandkids. He said, I've had some moments where I can do some other things, obviously, other things. He's the president of this. He's the president of that. He's the pastor of a mega church, on and on. But the insight there is that he had to say no to some good things to say yes to the most important things. And maybe that's something that you and I can learn as we think about running a little bit lighter. Also, we run with endurance. That's the point three that I get out of this scripture. And it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's so interesting that uh, all throughout the New Testament especially, they talk a lot about the athletic issues. Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's found in 1 Timothy 4.7. And a lot of that deals with kind of the athleticism that takes place. When you look at these musicians who were absolutely amazing, that didn't just happen. That meant they worked hard to, to do that. Sometimes we miss that, that what we need to do in our own Christian walk, you know, we're saved by grace, no doubt. It's nothing we've done, nothing we deserve in many ways. But what we then, if we're going to do discipleship, it's that we, we need to learn to, to persevere. The, the new word is the word grit. Grit means this, and this is taken from the dictionary. It's courage, resolve, strength of character. This is taken directly from the dictionary. Uh, he displayed the true grit of a Navy pilot. Words like uh, courage, bravery, backbone, spirit, strength, strength of will, uh, moral fiber, valor, fortitude, toughness, hardness, resolve, determined, resolute. Doesn't that sound spontaneous? And if you're thinking about marriage, you know, so romantic. But truly, people who have grit do well. There's a woman named Angela Duckworth. She has one of the top TED Talks in the world, not necessarily coming from a Christian background. And when she studied people who were successful, you know what she learned? That it wasn't their intelligence. It was their grit. Both in the world of education and in the world of business, it was people who had this idea of grit. Grit is uh, passion with perseverance. Grit is really asking the question, what will it take to make your top priorities your top priority? See, Grit is important for us. It's an important thought. Important, well, for example, in the world of marriage, the, one of the worlds where I live in. Troubled marriages, the study just came out, that if you're in a troubled marriage, if you will persevere rather than leave, if you will persevere for five years, 78% of the people say that their marriage is better off because they persevered. The grass wasn't always going to be greener, see. And so part of that is perseverance. And you see this throughout the Bible. You see words like persevere, endurance. And those aren't bad words. Those are good words, but it takes some of that discipline that we just talked about for that to take place. Uh, John Ortberg is a good friend of mine, and he's a writer and a speaker. And John Ortberg has a phrase, and I actually have it in my office, and it says, love God and do the right thing. <laughs> love God and do the right thing. I've added to his great quote, and then repeat daily for the rest of my life. So what my goal is, if I'm going to finish well, is to love God and do the right thing. And what's amazing about for most of us is when we hear that phrase, most of us know what the right thing is. We don't always do it, of course, when it comes to any of the issues. But the fact is, is that if we do, and if we get better working at it, and I'm not saying that it's just about grit. The Christian faith is not just about grit. It's actually more about grace. But because of the grace of God, and because of the unmerited favor that he gives us, then with some grit, we can actually, you know, succeed in ways that are pretty amazing. So I got another question for you. What is my life, what in my life has gone unattended or, or 
uh, uncultivated. That may be able to help you understand what you need to put some time and energy into if you want to finish well. What, what in my life has gone unattended, uncultivated? See, if you don't water your plants, they die, right? I had to call Ronnie today because I, I live in Southern California. We don't have any rain. And so I said, now there's a storm happening here. Are they still having the services? I'm kidding. I didn't call Ronnie. <laughs> But we are wimps. I mean, it's, it rains like this, and we go, okay, school's out. You know, life, we're changing life, and oh, my gosh, we're ridiculous, okay? Uh, but anyway, what in your life has gone unattended, uncultivated? If you know what that is, then actually, if you begin to make a, a course correction, then that's going to help greatly, see? The, the, the last one is keep your eyes on the prize, So what the Bible says is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Hey, we all drift. And so what we do is we make course corrections. I was speaking in Houston, actually at a church that is right next door to NASA. And uh, I was doing, I I do some speaking and writing on sexuality and I was was doing a whole day on it. It was great. And uh, this guy in the kind of back in the row, uh, I kept watching him and he just had a look on his face. It was pretty amazing. I mean, he just had a, like, I wow. I'd like to know this guy. Well, then the pastor comes up and he goes, hey, do you want to meet an astronaut? And I said, yeah, wow, I've never met an astronaut. And it was this guy. And uh, so I said, what is it like? He'd been in space twice. I said, what is it like to be in space when, and I point to NASA, which is literally, like I said, next door. I said, what is it like to be in space with them being in control of you? He said, well, they're not much in control of me. So they're in control about 3% of the time. He said, we're, we're drifting, 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 and then they make a course correction sometimes. We're drifting, 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 and they make a course correction. I thought, God, that's our life. We drift spiritually. We drift in relationships. We drift in our primary relationships, which would be God, our family, if we're married, our marriage, our kids, whatever. And then what we need to do is make course corrections. What's the course correction that you need to make? Well, the way it's going to help you is when you keep your eyes on the prize, uh, I have a friend who who's, works with Homeward, the organization I work with in South Africa. And his dad lives in Tanzania and actually takes uh, tr- tours of where people up to uh, Kilimanjaro. I've always wanted to climb Kilimanjaro. Probably not going to happen. It's not a technical hike. It's just a long walk, right? And I was saying to the dad, he was there in South Africa one day and we were having dinner. And, uh, and I said, what is it like? Can people, how, what kind of shape are they in to go to you know, to climb Kilimanjaro. He said, well, actually, you don't have to be in that great a shape. You just have to keep your eye on the peak. I said, what do you mean? He said, if people can see the peak and they keep their eyes on the peak, they make it. But it's the people who, who, who get distracted and they don't look at the peak or they can't see the peak because of the clouds. And they are the ones who, they, they, have, they start fighting and they start saying they can't make it. But as long as we show the peak. I said, what do you do when it's cloudy? Because there's always a cloud over Kilimanjaro. He goes, I have a picture of Kilimanjaro. And I say, it's just over there, even when it's cloudy, see. And so in many ways for us, our goal is to keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus, see. And as we keep our eyes on him, then we can make better choices. I like this quote by Andy Stanley. The choices we make privately almost always have consequences that branch out publicly. Every decision we make affects someone, our church, business, or family, especially the people close to us. So the decisions we make today are going to affect us for the rest of our life. So a question for you, kind of meddling in your life a little bit today, but, you know, what private decisions can you make today to clearly fix your eyes on Jesus? And again, I'm 
I think you know. I don't have to tell you. But what are the decisions that you have to make to clearly keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? I can think of some things in my own life right away. See? My dad, uh, he was an alcoholic. And uh, it was pretty cool that at, in the 60s, he had enough courage to uh, go into a treatment center, uh, get sober, and then he became a Christian. Uh, pretty cool story, because I had pretty much given up on him. I'd become a Christian in the Jesus Revolution. I was in the, I don't know if you saw the movie, but I was, I was in that church. I was at the baptisms. I mean, that was kind of where I grew up. And dad just thought that was nuts. And uh, so anyway, long story short is he got sober and became a Christian. Pretty cool. And I got close to him at the, at the end. We weren't super close, you know, kind of growing up, because he was pretty disappointed that his son, uh, I have a brother who played for the White Sox, and, and he wanted me to go do that. I could have never done it, but he always thought I could. It was nice. Um, but, you know, going into ministry, he was not happy about that. But at the end, it changed. And uh, dad uh, broke his hip, and they did surgery, and then he was 89 years old, and he went into a convalescent hospital, and they said, if you can't get up, you're going to die of pneumonia. And uh, he never got up, and, and he was in, put in hospice. And now I'm sitting with him at the end. And he, he could still talk. They said he had about two weeks. And a woman walks in. It's just dad and me. And, you know, we'd gotten much closer. And this woman said, Bob, my dad's name, it's time, for, it's time for physical therapy. And I went, you got the wrong deal. He's in hospice. He's got a bedpan. He can't get up. And, uh, and then she looks down farther and goes, oh, 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 I guess it's not time for physical therapy. Bob, how are you doing? And, you know, she kind of pulls out of it. And, and my dad said, I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. She didn't know what to say this nurse, and looks at me and my bald head, looks at him and his bald head, and said, you must be related. She said, this is my son, Jimmy. And only my dad could call me Jimmy, but this is my son, Jimmy, and I'm so proud of him. And at that moment, Jimmy, eyes welled up with tears, even at that age, that, you know, my dad was proud of me. Okay? He said, and I have three other sons, and I'm proud of them too, Billy, Bobby, and Ronnie. And I'm thinking, I understand you being proud of me. I'm the youngest son. I mean, we're always proud of the youngest, but, you know, those guys, no. I mean, they, they, these are, dad, I mean, I didn't say this. It was the bubble in my head. But dad, you're, you're actually saying that. And then I thought to myself, how like God? He was proud of all of us. And that he wanted to be in heaven. And he told this lady this. And then he said to her, I have no regrets. And I thought, no regrets? This is an alcoholic. He made a lot of mistakes in his life. And yet, because of grace and because of what Christ had done in his life, he said he had no regrets. And I'm thinking, wait, I have regrets. So the lady bounces out and taps me on the shoulder as she's going. She goes, you are a blessed man. <laughs> and now it's just dad and me. And I said, dad, I wanted to give him a chance to throw the, my brothers under the bus. So I said, dad, you said you were proud of all of us. I was waiting to say, well, I'm much more proud of you. But he said, no, I'm proud of all four of you. And again, I thought, how like God. And then I said, well, dad, um, you said you have no regrets. And he said, well, that's more your business than mine, but I'm saved by grace. You confess with your mouth, you're saved, right? Checking, he's checking at the end. Yeah, Dad, okay, you told me that. And I thought, what an incredible thing that at the end of his life, really you only want two things. And actually there's a, a, a researcher named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who's now passed away, but she said when people who are Christian or not, that when, they, when they're dying, they only have two things that they want. They want a right relationship with God and they want a right relationship with their loved ones. And that was what my dad was doing. He was finishing well. So I want to challenge you today is to think about this. I, it's kind of a heavy subject I've just realized as I started talking to you about all this. But it's important 
Because the decisions you make today will affect you for the rest of your life. And significance and a well-lived life is never accidental. What do you do with this message? You probably know what to do. So let's pray about it, and then let's uh, respond. Almighty God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the fact that, yeah, we are going to finish well, no matter if we're uh, finishing well very soon or if we're finishing well in a lot of years. But God, help us to be the men and the women who, uh, who can trust in you. Help us to be the people who keep our eyes fixed on you. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we know we can't do it on our own, but that we need your strength and we need your power. In the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen.